Welcome to A Women's Brew, where women talk about beer. In today's episode, we are lucky enough to speak to Dr. J from the American Brewers Association and Crafted for All LLC on the important topic of diversity, equality and inclusion within the beer community. I'm Joanne and this is Tori. Hello. We're two beer-loving women on a mission to get more people drinking and talking about great beer. Come join us. Um, we are really excited and pleased to have Dr. J with us today. Hello, welcome. How welcome, are you welcome. today? Uh, thank you, thank you. I'm doing just fine, although um, a little bit rattled. I, me and my 14-year-old literally just got home from getting a COVID test because he's sick. Oh, so I'm oh, we're nice. like, fingers crossed, yep. I'm, I'm vaccine boosted and uh you know well hydrated so hopefully that will count for something yeah fingers crossed for you yeah yeah um so we're very excited to have you here today would you like to tell everyone a little bit about yourself a little bit about your background and maybe why you're here to talk to us today um gosh um I you know I never know how to answer this question (laughs) and like what is my background you know (laughs) many moons ago um let's see I'll I'll give you the weird story or the high points. Um, I am currently a um, diversity, equity, and inclusion professional for the craft beverage industry. I do most of my work in craft beer, but um, also have the great fortune to work with folks in wine, cider, spirits, um, and even would love to make some inroads in um, cannabis beverages. Um, So um, that's what I'm doing now. I um, this is my second career. I used to be a college professor. So uh, this is kind of, uh, you know, mosey around the professional maypole number two. Uh, and throughout the whole time, um, I've been a really passionate and um, enthusiastic fan of, of craft beer in particular. And um, yeah, that's, that's, um, Maybe that's the the thread that's been connecting everything for the last 20, 25 years. So exciting. Um, so for our international listeners, uh, could you tell us a bit about the Brewers Association? Because they may not know about it from over here in the UK. Yeah, yeah. That's fine. Um, so the Brewers Association is the not-for-profit professional trade association for craft brewers in the United States. Uh, We define a craft brewer as uh, independent, so they are not more than 25% owned by a non-craft brewer entity, and they are small, um, which means they brew less than 6 million barrels of beer uh, annual. I do not have my barrel to hectoliter ready, um, but uh, somebody will do it, and and we'll see what that is. (laughs) There's an app for that somewhere, I reckon. Yeah, somewhere. <laughs> uh, so we, as a trade association, um, we're a membership-based organization. Um, so of the uh, roughly 9,000 um, breweries in the United States, m- more than half, good, good solid more than half, are members of the Brewers Association. And our main activities are um, government affairs. So we advocate uh, for uh, our members, but also the whole craft craft beer community, 
at the federal and state level, um, we provide education and resources, and then we also allow our membership to kind of um, access benefits through like strength in numbers, so discounts on uh, subscription services and licensing, things along those lines. Oh, I feel like we need something like that. I, I was literally just thinking, like, I feel like we need <laughs> stuff like that because, um, like, when we have things that go through, like, even just thinking of, like, the brewer's tax that, that's going yeah, through small here. Small brewery. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's You see a lot of people, a lot of, like, small breweries that are like, this is horrible, like, what can we do? You sign petitions, you do all that stuff, but there's no, like unified front that's able to represent them on that level everyone just has to hope we all sign a petition and that they look at that and that something happens and it unfortunately it feels like most times nothing does they just go sorry we we feel that it's the best thing that we can do for you and uh and it's just a bit dismissed and it just yeah it sucks a bit so yeah no we're lucky we have um we have a full-time federal affairs manager who, who handles things at the national level. Um, absolutely brilliant woman named Katie Marisic. And she lives in Washington, D.C. She spends all her time like on the Hill lobbying on behalf of Crackers. And uh, gosh, she's uh, in the last couple of years, um, you know, won some incredible victories on behalf of craft brewers. I mean, we also have a state uh government affairs manager as well, uh, who helps work with our state brewers guilds to kind of do legislation on the state level. So um, yeah, huge, huge, um, huge benefit of membership and um, those folks do some great work. There's a question. Oh, sorry, Joe. I suppose our equivalent might be SEBA. Might be, yeah. Possibly. There's a brewer that's going to let us know now. probably got that wrong somewhere i'm sure sure. no i I was just gonna say like in terms of where is there like a state that's like has the headquarters for the brewers association or is it more spread out or you know how does that work which state is it if there is one yeah so that there is a headquarters um the brewers association is headquartered in boulder colorado uh kind of at the foothills base of the rocky mountains uh we are though spread out we have employees kind of all over i am actually on the east coast um based out of uh, richmond virginia and um we have folks all over the place but the the building that people don't go into terribly often because of covid now uh is in colorado okay interesting yeah um so i saw that um you dedicated your academic career to american beer can you tell us a little bit about that yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I was, you know, on the path to this, like, I'm going to be a professor situation. And, um, you know, the last leg of that is uh, the PhD. And I was um, in graduate school uh, at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, working on my PhD. And by this time, I had kind of been in the beer space um, for a while, like as a consumer, an enthusiast, as a home brewer. And I was actually working at a homebrew shop. Um, you know, that was like how I made my, my gas money and my beer money. Um, and just was really passionate over there, you know, like um, getting BJCP certified and putting together events and teaching homebrew classes and, you know, um, just digging in. And then I had this kind of other second life, which was like 
being a tortured graduate student and like staying up too late drinking coffee and whiskey, right? Like doing, doing both. And somewhere along the ways, I was like, what I should, they should be the same thing, right? I should stop having like two different lives. And so decided to do my academic work about the brewing space. Um, at the time, um, I was in a program uh, for communication and cultural studies. And so people always are like, what does beer have to do with communication? And I always tell people there's two different things. There's communication studies and then there's communications with the shuns on the end. Yeah. Communications is like the broadcasting, you know, practice. Communication studies is like the study of communication. So I think of it as the diff- like the difference between religious studies and theology. Mm. Um, so for me, I was really, I've always been really interested in about how people um, make meaning for themselves, especially in situations where like power dynamics are involved with things that are not speech. So, um, so I did a lot of writing about uh, contemporary art, like how people navigate the world by making art. I actually did a lot of writing on Tracy Emin. So, um, you know, she does a lot of beautiful confessional art. Um, mm. And then food carries so much meaning, right? Like food and drink, we, we, do, we, we do so much meaning making with those objects. And so, you know, for me, the question was really about like, okay, well, what kind of meaning making do we do with beer? Um, and I specifically was like, you know, the meaning making that we do with beer is not just copious, but it's valuable. Um, like you can put price tag on it and yeah. say like this beer means more because it's sustainable because it's craft because it's whatever because it's local and we in you know there's actually like a financial connection to that meaning making so um so that's kind of what the the weird dissertation work was about and um gosh it was a lot of fun um you know people are like what are you doing your dissertation on and I was like beer and they're like what you know. um, so I I it was a it was a good time for sure I've got a, I've got a good question though yeah. that that goes along lines with uh, your origin story in beer. Can you remember what the first beer was that made you fall in love with craft beer? Oh gosh, I don't know exactly <laughs> what it was, but I ha- I kind of know like the collection of beers it might have been. Right. Yeah. So um, this would have been um, late 1990s. Uh, I was going to college in like a mountain town in Southwest Virginia. So it wasn't like a bustling metropolis. We had limited <laughs> options. But I remember um, in the things that I first kind of dunked my toe into, um, there used to be a, call, a beer called Magic Hat number nine. Yes, um, my yes. hat. <laughs> yes. yep. uh, the um, UFO was yep. big for me. Um, Adita made this beer called Turbo Dog. Uh, I don't even know what it was. I, I literally, you could ask me what style it was. I was like, no idea. No <laughs> idea what that was. Uh, the Sam Smith's, uh, that was a big one. And then I think my first kind of toe into Belgians was like a Chimay Blue. And then I was, you know, after that was like 
beer can be everything and was a happy I feel like these are like my first few beers as well like Sam Adams Boston Lager was like the beer that I went oh <laughs> to but yeah a lot of those are, are on my list as well actually I was gonna say Magic yeah. Hat I think I've said it before on the podcast Magic Hat like just as a whole um was uh, I've got my magic hat glass somewhere over there. Oh my gosh, um, uh, yeah, the the Hefeweizen was like I would drink that all the time. <laughs> um and UFO, like harpoon yeah. UFO. Because yeah, I'm I'm from Boston, so for me, harpoon yeah. UFO is like Yeah, the end. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like that. It's it and it's one of those things that seems a lot more I think I was Joe and I spoke about before, seems more mass produced than it than it is because like when you're from the state that it's being produced in and you don't live that far away and you see it everywhere, you just think like, oh yeah, like I never even thought about it as craft beer until sort of like I was really into craft beer and then I was like, oh yeah, I guess that was craft. Like I never thought about it. I remember going to Magic Hat in Vermont and they had such a cool, it's closed now, unfortunately, they had such a cool tap room and brewery they had this big rusty tower out front that I remember like climbing up to the top of taking photos inside and then also being like I shouldn't stay up here very long because I feel like this is probably gonna come crashing down at any minute like <laughs> running back down the stairs a bit but yeah I think they still got one in New York but I think the Vermont one is gone now unfortunately but it was so cool the artwork was cool the styles were so good so yeah I'm, I'm glad that you named like Magic Cat as yeah, well. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and you know, it, where I was, it was so like um, you know, it was a bit like mountain hippie, you know, so like it just fit like it, it fit the vibe. It was like a whole vibe for sure. Yeah. Sorry, Joe, I cut you off when you're about no, to say like, something. Well, I was gonna say to I mean, talking about strange dissertations, mine oh. so I, I've got a degree in costume for the screen and stage. Um, and my dissertation was on how musicals put across cultural issues and how um, costume helps that. So I like looked at like West Side Story, The Wiz, um, Cabaret and something else <laughs> that I now can't remember. But yeah, mine was something weird as well and it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be on costume and it was about like cultural identity and, <laughs> and things like that. So the station's trying, always weird, I think. I'm trying like really hard right now not to spin off into like a West Side Story tangent because because <laughs> I really I want to go there really I was like you were just gonna start like going like that yeah, and then do the like, songs <laughs> yeah, yeah. I watched so many musicals <laughs> before before I wrote that like I literally have folders just about all the musicals I had to start that at the time I was doing it um Kill Bill had come out and I had to stop watching the musicals and watch Kill Bill because I needed something that wasn't somebody bursting into song every five <laughs> seconds so that is a massive contrast yes, yeah, yeah, no, I, was like, I was like I need something I've got I've got to watch something else <laughs> but when you first said when Kill Bill came out I had a very small moment where I was like is Kill Bill musical no I, no, I did as well no. for a second, I, for a second <laughs> I was like I don't remember Kill Bill that like, I don't remember that no, there was a reason for that <laughs> amazing I feel like we're very like I feel like I am really getting into your backstory because okay. I feel like it's very similar to mine at the moment. Like I'm kind of got the whole beer thing going on and I've got another thing and that they, they need to kind of join up. Yeah, we did just have this conversation happen. the yeah. other day, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah. 
I'm waiting I was thinking that, that as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, you had you had mentioned something about um about how like in your dissertation you were saying, you know, the price of beer, you can justify paying more for something because it's craft, it's small and all that. And I think we've kind of come to something like we've kind of come to a point in the UK where supermarkets are offering craft beer. Um and I guess it is still kind of not though it seems mass produced I feel like we are much smaller scale than places in the US like just as a country so Mm -hmm. like size wise we are smaller so it maybe seems like it's more mass produced but if you were to duplicate that same size in the in the US it might not be as much as we think um and I think in order for them to hit that sort of entry point to the market in supermarkets the prices are coming down on that um and there is a lot of debate going back and forth over here about craft beer you know should we be calling it craft beer is this more mass produced now? You know, are people expecting uh, a dipper to be so much cheaper than what it actually is? Because in a supermarket, you can get a dipper for, you know, three pound or you know, $2.50 sort of thing. Um, and is that sort of a fair price for it? Obviously, in the US, I think most states, at least, I don't know about all of them, but most states sort of operate with liquor stores and bottle shop like that type of stuff. You're not just going to a supermarket and getting your beer. Do you have anything that's quite similar over there at the moment where people are maybe expecting lower prices for beer than what it is they're getting? Yeah, so it's depending on where you are, could be totally different. So every state has its own regulatory environment, which is what makes it kind of bats here, you know, so um, some states, it's kind of like, uh, if the, you know, ABV is over a certain amount, you've got to go to the package store, but otherwise it can be in the grocery store, et cetera. Um, So yeah, there's a lot of that going on. I think, you know, I don't, I don't think there's quite as much pressure on price points here as I think there is in the UK. And I, I'm, this is just a theory of mine but i think because your tax your taxation is so much higher um on beer than it is here you have um less elasticity in your prices and it's it puts far more pressure on the smaller producers who can't get the economies of scale i think we have a little bit more space to work with here because taxation isn't as large an issue in most states. Um, now we also have the whole like franchise law and distribution law is just like wacky different depending on where you are. So some states that's the big issue rather than price point. Um, and then, you know, so I, I would say we probably don't necessarily have an analogous issue. Now I will say that you know, we have a lot of craft brands who that are national and, you know, you get those brands in the Walmart or the grocery store or whatever. Um, and, you know, for the past couple of years, those folks have done quite well. Um, and it's almost, for me, I think there's almost like a, you know, there seems to be almost like a separation between like the beer for drinking, right? Like <laughs> you pick it up when you get in your eggs and bread and then the like experience beer which is like i'm having an occasion a a craft beer occasion and either i'm going to a tap room or i'm you know pulling up for curbside pickup and that and then i'm going to go home and have the occasion and it almost seems like they're more and more becoming like two separate things because personally i do both 
And I know a lot of people who do both as well. Yeah, that's such a good description of it. I think that's that's often what that's we say. That's exactly how I do yeah, it. Yeah, there's like yeah. Your, fridge, your fridge fillers that you pick up when you're in the supermarket. And then there's, you know, your good beers that you put in the fridge and you're like, husband, don't drink those. Those are my craft beers. Yeah, I, I think I think like there's, I've definitely had people that don't like when I use the term fridge fillers. But for me, I can't dictate what it means for other people. But for me, a fridge filler is something that I can go to the supermarket when I know I'm having friends come around and I want to be able to drink something that I don't, they're not craft beer drinkers themselves. I want something that I don't have to think about too much it's something that I know I'm going to enjoy uh, something that's a more high-end style but also something that I can sort of just grab in a supermarket last minute if we've got last minute plans they can sit in there and then I can go okay have one of those not think about it as opposed to when I'm paying a bit more for something that's not come from the supermarket and those are the ones that I I end up buying more of those probably but those are the ones that I end up getting more variety on um and I will sit there and I will drink those they're not the ones that I'm necessarily going back time and time again to get the same ones if that makes sense mm-hmm. yeah and I think what's gorgeous is that the industry has space for both Mm, exactly. you can have yeah. both I don't know I don't think those are two competing marriages. I think they're very complementary yeah, no agree definitely. like we always say like you're getting more people into craft beer and into their local breweries and stuff by them picking up these interesting things at the supermarket and they're just like oh I'll give that a try and that that's their gateway beer that's how they're getting into it like I don't I don't like lots of people yeah. are like oh we shouldn't have those they shouldn't be going to the supermarket whatever that's how you that's how we're going to hook people into good beer and into local beer like 100%. let's not dismiss it I was gonna say I've, I've had people disagree about that and I'm like no but I know people firsthand that now order yeah. from bottle shops and they're people that you know a year ago just happened to want something different than a Foster's or a Carling when they were at the store once and they thought oh this looks a bit interesting and then they'd grab it and go oh that tastes really good what else can I get from them and then end up going directly to the site and order and stuff directly from that brewer and I'm like you can you can disagree and that's totally fair we can agree to disagree but I know people firsthand who that is working for so yeah 100% agree that there's room for both I've seen it firsthand with my own my own eyes so yeah definitely um talking about beer for all um you started crafted for all LLC do you want to tell us um, a little bit about what that is and when you started it yeah so um I'll take you back a little bit into the um, back into the backstory a bit. Um, so, you know, in, oh gosh, maybe around 2017, I'm going to say, um, I was teaching full time, um, uh, you know, happily being a weird professor um, at a small little liberal arts college uh, in central Virginia. And um, my friends at the North Carolina Brewers Guild, State Guild down there, um, invited me to come give uh, a, like a keynote, a plenary talk um, at their State Guild conference about, um, you know, just basic putting diversity, equity, and inclusion on the radar for brewers in that state. Um, and while I was doing that, I happened to run into Julia Hertz, who at the time was the director of the craft beer program at the Brewers Association. She's now the executive director of the American Home Brewers Association. Um, and, you know, we just had a lot of like kind of back and forth um, about, you know, what was going on at the BA. They had um, started a diversity, equity and inclusion committee the previous year. And, you know, 
kind of left it at that, but I was like, oh, it sounds like people are doing stuff, you know? And then a couple months later, I got a, um, somebody passed along like, hey, the, the Brewers Association is hiring um, a diversity ambassador, which it was a kind of part-time contract um, position. And uh, the they're looking for someone who has, you know, uh, like knowledge of the industry, um, someone who can uh, create, you know, educational materials. So, you know, best practices and things like that. Uh, and then someone who would travel around the country um, doing seminars with state guilds and somebody who could conduct and uh, interpret research about the industry. Um, and, you know, I was just like, studies culture, knows fear, teaches, does research. And I was like, oh, what, you know, so I was just like, I've been training for this my whole life. Um, <laughs> you know, the books is. Yeah. Uh, so it was, a, it was a really great fit and um, came on with them. Uh, and it, for me, it, it worked, you know, I was doing it while I was still teaching. Um, if you're, you know, if consulting work is related to your, your area, like your research agenda, um, you can usually say, oh, this is this is faculty consulting. It helps my, my um, academic work, which it did. Um, so at that time, uh, I started, a, you know, it was a sole proprietorship consultancy that at the time was called Craft Beer for All. Um, and that was kind of the vehicle that I was doing that work through because, you know, very quickly after I started doing this work with the Brewers Association, individual breweries were like, oh, can can I engage you to come help with this? Um, so fast forward a couple of years, um, I was uh, having like my academia crisis, which I guess like many academics go through. Uh, and, you know, I was just like, oh, I don't know if this is for me. And higher education has um, got issues and I'm not sure I want to be part of. And uh, just going through a lot and, um, made the really kind of tough decision that I was going to call it quits in higher education and start doing work um, in the craft beverage space full time. So um, when I made that change, um, rebranded as Crafted for All, um, just to reflect the fact that beer wasn't going to be everything we did. Um, so that was around summer 2020. And since then, um, we've just kind of um, extended and grown. Uh, right now, we've stepped back from direct consulting and um, do more professional development work. So we provide folks with with resources, with tools, um, with community of support, so that they feel um, confident and empowered to make uh, make their business practices more inclusive, equitable, and just. So when that role came up, so I know, like, from from my standpoint, um, there's definitely things that I have sort of imposter syndrome over. When that role came up and you were like, I know that I tick this box, this box, and this box. Like, did you have a moment at all where you felt a bit like imposter syndrome, like, oh, I don't know? Or did you just go right for it? Um, yes and yes. Right. <laughs> like, I was very much like really, I can't imagine like being more perfect for this role, but also nobody's going to listen to me and I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Right. <laughs> like both, like both happened at the same time. Yeah. Did you just put, did you just basically go, I don't know, like, I know I'm qualified for it, bit nervous though about it, 
but like was your approach to get past that imposter syndrome to just be like ignore it and just go for it anyways like would that be something that you would recommend other people just go turn that off and just go for it yeah absolutely so you know this is so a question I've been asked in the past is like what's the best advice that you've ever received and it's something my parents told me my whole life every time I tell it to people they're like oh that is grim, you know, but it's really helpful. So like my parents have told me since I was a small child, right? You will work twice as hard for half the recognition because you're a woman of color. Since I was a little girl, they said this to me. And so in a way, um, it just gave me the biggest freakiest chip on my shoulder. Um, And I have a really... I'm really decent at saying some of this is just fear. Lots of this is you having internalized lots of the narratives that are given to you by the world who's socializing you as a woman of color. You can just whatever, right? Um, And then, you know, the rest of me is like, if some like half qualified, mediocre person who just has more confidence gets this role, you will like burn up in your own rage. So like, just go, you know, just go. What's the worst that happens? They turn around and they say, oh, sorry, you're not yeah. the right fit for the job. Yeah, and then you go, okay, well. Yeah. Right, I'll go back oh, and well. do my weird yeah. Yeah. You'll be You'll be more angry if you didn't try. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's interesting because obviously I, I definitely cannot speak about it from, you know, the personal color point of view by any means. But I know like when you guys were talking about your dissertations and stuff, I went to university, I dropped out. Um, I went to, went to university for journalism and then I was like, what am I doing? I'm just going to drop out and not do that and move to the UK and all that other stuff. Yeah. Um, and, and I've always, I what you've described about having to work sort of twice as hard for you know half the benefit of it I've always kind of felt that way from a sort of a female in tech perspective because I've always kind of worked within the tech or or telecom sector Mm -hmm. and where where women are sort of it's getting better now but they are definitely more of a minority there and also from the standpoint of I'm surrounded by people that are university educated people that have studied what it is uh, that they're doing around me and so I can totally relate to like I feel like now no matter what I always have to work twice as hard just to maintain balance of where other people may just have that opportunity because of the fact that they're like oh yeah I went to uni for this I've got the right contacts list I know I don't have I I find that it's difficult for me to feel confident sometimes in my just my own abilities knowing actually I worked really hard to get here I know what I'm doing and and that's that um and I and I feel sort of similar in the beer industry as well because I'm not in the industry I just do a podcast and I'm just a consumer so you're in the industry you do a podcast it is but see that's that's where the imposter syndrome comes in because then I feel like well now I have to work twice as hard to prove that I know what I'm talking about if that if if that makes sense so what you said is really sort of like inspiring so I totally get that and I can totally relate to that so I'll give you you know another thing and this is a it's something I fall back on a lot you know so I often share it with folks I have a personal 10 commandments like it's like these are the 10 ways you will live your life and I I go back to them all the time because I'm like you're not you're feeling a little bummy you need to go read 
Um, but one of one of them is I will never experience regret because I failed to try. So, um, so I was like, I will I will go through all sorts of regrets, but it will not be for that reason. A hun- not honestly, a hundred percent, and that is exactly again. I relate to that so much because I just I do exactly what you do, where I kind of go put that to the side because if I don't do it, I'm going to regret not trying to do it so I may look silly I may embarrass myself I may get told no it doesn't matter at the end of the day you just have to sort of fake I, I always go fake it till you make it that's the approach I've taken like my whole career is <laughs> just fake it till you make it so you're not faking so, it you're just faking the confidence <laughs> it, I, I mean outside of beer as well I mean like just in general just in life I always take the fake it till you make it approach and then it mm. always ends up fine in the end but yeah I'm so glad that you kind of said all that because um hopefully that's inspiration to other people as well that like it really works <laughs> to have that mindset so I'm glad I asked that question then yeah, that's, <laughs> a good one. that's a good one um can you tell us a little bit about your role as a first ever Brewers Association Diversity Ambassador. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I, you know, I mentioned before, you know, some of the things that I was doing then. Um, but honestly, I spent a good portion of the first, uh, a good portion of the first year in that role, traveling and listening. And I um, just wanted to know, you know, what are what are brewers struggling with? Like, what do they think they need? What do, what are their thoughts about this issue, et cetera? And, you know, I was surprised that first year. Um, I think I expected to have to convince everyone that caring about diversity, equity, and inclusion was a good idea, right? Like I had like, you know, packed my suitcase with the soapbox in there and I was like ready to go marching in. And what I found was, overwhelmingly everybody already knew like they were like yeah yeah yes of course uh but how was the question right so it wasn't necessarily like is this a good idea it was like how do i do this um and i for me that was really heartening you know to be like oh okay well we're, we're past step one and we can start working on like what's the the sticky part um, also just put down a lot of infrastructure that first year, which was really great. Um, so, you know, lots of people cite this, um, this piece of data, uh, that the Brewers Association makes available that basically has some, um, race, racial and ethnic and gender, um, breakouts of the composition of the folks who work in our industry. And, um, what people don't realize is that like that data didn't exist right, prior to 2019. So just, you know, collecting that data for the first time in a comprehensive nationwide way is um, like a massive piece of, of accomplishment because now we have a benchmark and we can, um, we can see exactly what we need to do and kind of grow that data collection effort, which we've done in um, this past year, which is wonderful. Um, and then started our started some programming with the Brewers Association as well. Um, we do um, a grants program that provides money for folks who are, um, first, it was only people who are organizing events. We've since expanded the program, but um, people who are organizing events that have a, um, 
thoughtful and intention to, you know, expand the people who drink craft beer, who work in craft beer, um, or to um, provide a little bit more recognition and representation for those folks who are in underrepresented groups who are already in craft beer. And um, that's been a really fun program to watch grow because, um, you know, the Birds Association is a national organization, but it's the people who are on the ground in those communities who are putting events together, who really know their communities and really know um, how to activate those folks. So um, it's cool to just say, okay, let's give those folks some money so that they have what they need to make this event like a really special experience for, for someone new who may be coming to craft beer. And, um, you know, some of the events we've gotten to fund, um, Fresh Fest, uh, Beers Without Beards, um, Suave Fest, which is a um, Latino Latina festival, um, you know, all these events are bringing new people, um, female brew fest down in Florida. Um, you know, people go to them and they're like, this thing is awesome. Right. And, um, they don't get like a weird introduction in a, maybe in a tap room that's full of people that don't look like them or they feel uncomfortable. They get to go to like a, an event that's exciting and there's people there and there's energy. And, um, I can't think of a better like introduction to the craft beverage space. So exactly. I, th- I think, so the internet can be an amazing place, but it can also bring out um, some of the worst, more vocal parts of communities. Um, and does it necessarily like, it's so much more cold, like on a Facebook group sometimes than it would be if you walked into an event where the whole purpose is to like be inclusive and get more people in. So sometimes if, if someone's just seeing something on like a Facebook page or something like that, it can seem really like intimidating, judgmental, closed off. And then they are never going to go to an actual event because they are going to see the most vocal members. And normally those most vocal members are the ones that are bothered enough to say some of the stuff that you're just like, you would never say that out loud to a human being. Why are you saying that? Yeah. Like anywhere. And and it can just sometimes give such a wrong thing. So I think like that's brilliant that you're just like, let's let's make someone's first introduction a nice, happy, warm experience where they can actually see what it's like in person and around people that just make the event really. Yeah, absolutely. So amazing. I love it. Um so you now lead the Brewers Association's Diversity, Equality and Inclusion Department. I had to read that out to make sure I got all the bits in. Um, what does that involve and what are your plans with that for the future? Yeah, yeah. So, um, so you know, I, I worked as the kind of part-time ambassador for, uh, for a couple of years and um, fairly recently. It's been more than a year now. But um, at the end of, end of the whole year is it? end of 2020 2022 but don't even know anymore who even knows anything anymore uh at the at the end of 2020 i um started as their equity and inclusion partner which is um essentially a full-time equivalent role and um you know the big difference is in addition to the time is that when i was working as a diversity ambassador it's very member facing uh so you know did a lot of work with our membership um, in this role, I'm still doing that, um, but I'm also um, working inside the association itself with the staff, with 
the board of directors to make sure that our internal operations are also um, as inclusive, equitable, and just as they can be. Um, so, and it's given me the opportunity just to build more, to do more programming, to move some things along those lines. So, um, yeah, so now it's just awesome. It's really, we've got a lot, really robust programming going on. So, um, you know, we launched a mentorship program uh, a year ago, and that's now run through two cohorts of um, mentees. We're about to start our third cohort right now, and that's been um Gosh, that's just been an incredible program to be part of. Um, we get a group of about 30 uh, folks every cohort, and um, they're divided into three different groups, aspiring professionals, so people who have never worked in the industry, advancing professionals, so people who have worked in the industry and maybe are looking to move into leadership or change roles, and then um, brewery startups, so people who are looking to start up their own places. And uh, they spend 12 weeks in a virtual mentorship program. Um, during that 12 weeks, they meet with five different mentors. So they have two-week rotations with each of five mentors. And um, each one is in a different area. So if you're uh, in a startup, if you're a brewery startup, for example, you could get a mentor in uh, management, brewery finance, technical brewing, human resources, and marketing and uh, branding, right? Um, or if you're front of the house, you could get one in event planning, guest experience, tasting and serving beer, right? So um, it's just been an incredible opportunity to kind of allow people to explore a really broad, like broad right, range of industry folks. And um, our mentors are some of the, you know, some of the most accomplished people in the industry who are just volunteering their time to kind of help folks along the way, which has um, been really fun. Um, that's a hands-on program. It's a hands-on process. It takes a lot. And so um, certainly that's the type of thing you can only really do when you're like full-time and embedded in a program uh, or embedded in an organization. So um, that's been really great to put forward. Um, and then plans, gosh, uh, I, like I was, how many days do you have? Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're going to um, look at our, our, our existing programs, mentorship and grants, and just try to grow, grow their impact, see what we're doing there. Um, you know, really getting to work with the staff and the leadership, our board of directors, our committee folks, and um, really understand what they want and what they need in terms of ongoing learning and training in diversity, equity, and inclusion, and um, doing a like, robust annual um, training program with those folks, which is really exciting. Um, working with our equity scorecard, it's a, um, we work with a group of metrics internally so that we make sure that we're an organization that's, um, you know, putting ourselves in position to lead the industry, by example, in terms of um, how we hit certain, um, you know, operational measures of equity in the, in the, as a business. Um, looking to make a lot more connections and uh, just grow our network. So it's, it's a fun and exciting time right now. I think... Um, I think this last two years, it's been really hard to say I'm excited. Right? Um, between COVID, um, between you know our industry's reckoning with with sexism and harassment, um, with uh, the the kind of ongoing conversations about racial injustice and um, our industry's 
um, in, in many ways, lack of preparation to deal with issues on that level. Um, it's not been an easy two years. You know, it's been a very challenging two years. And so it's, it's good right now to be in a position to say, um, you know, we've taken some knocks and some dings and we've, gosh, we have learned a lot. Um, you learn a lot when you get your ass kicked, right? Like that's, um, I think that's part of it. And um, being able to say, you know, now we have some momentum, we have some support, we have some allies um, and, you know, it's exciting looking forward for sure. I think that mentorship program just sounds like really incredible. And it's something that I feel like I'm not aware that we have anything like that over here on like an actual maybe like somebody has agreed to mentor someone on a, on a small scale, but I don't feel like we really have like a program like this, especially where you're saying mentoring people from outside the industry that want to be in the industry. And I think that that's something that, again, if we don't already have it, maybe I'm wrong. I don't think we do. It's something that we could really use because I think there's so many parts of, like you said, there's so many parts within the industry that I think, people don't necessarily know about um so like for me I would love to work in the industry of course but you know I know that for me um I, I respect what brewers do I love what brewers do but I don't personally see that being a position that I would necessarily be good at mm-hmm. um I don't feel like sales is the right area for me um and up until recently like I never even realized that you could be working in the creative areas like events and and like those kind of it just never was something that really crossed my brain and I feel like there's so many roles like that within the industry that if you were going through a mentoring program you'd probably have that aha moment a lot sooner than maybe you have it if you're doing it on your own and then you very much feel like it's a fight to get in the doors and you maybe don't know what you're doing wrong or what you're doing right. And, and I feel like we could really, really use a program like that over here. Um, especially if you're a person that's a, a minority group or, you know, you're uh, gender wise, like, you know, you're the minority in gender. Like that is something that you could use hearing from a mentor that you can relate to that can help you out and speak to you on your level like that. Um, we don't have, like, so we don't have that as far as I'm aware. And I think that's amazing work that we really, really could do with. And I, I hope someone hears this and picks up on that over here, to be honest, yeah. but not that you we're might, trying hey, to like cheat them. off your. No, <laughs> t- I was just about to say, like, um, <laughs> tell them, tell them to give me a ring and we, they can copy. Uh, I would love to just export the program, right? We, we need more of it. And, you know, one of the things that I think is so important that we maybe don't talk about as much with the program, you know, um, it's a program that anyone can apply for. You know, we, we kind of operate with the assumption like, yes, diversity actually does mean everyone. So everyone can apply. But our, our goal is to serve those who have experienced barriers to access or advancement. Um, and what I'm probably most proud of is, um, the thoughtfulness with which, um, the people who are involved in the program have interpreted, um, this, this idea of like, what is a barrier? Um, for some folks, it is, um, large systemic, um, right. Injustice. So their barrier might be, you know, based on their race or ethnicity or, uh, their gender, their age, their sexual orientation, their disability status, right? Um, but for other people, their barrier might be 
more situational. So they might be someone who is located in an extremely rural area of the States and they don't have access to other mentors because there's no one there, right? Or um, someone who may be not necessarily in a group demographic that is traditionally marginalized or excluded, but they have um, been through the criminal justice system and um, there, you know, everything is a struggle, um, you know, once you've kind of been through the criminal justice system here in the States. Um, it might be someone who it deals with, um, you know, dimensions of diversity that are less, less visible, so we don't talk about them as much. So um, they could be living with a neurodiverse, uh, you know, in neurodiverse populations or be a member of a neurodiverse population. They could be um, a combat veteran. You know, our veterans have a lot of um, challenges as well, both reintegrating into civilian life, but um, also with employment. So, um, you know, I think I'm, I'm really proud that when I look at the kind of former cohorts that have come through the program, we really do have a, a great mix of people who have experienced barriers um, in, in all sorts of ways. And I think it's really important to, to be diverse about how you think about diversity, right? So that you can um, make sure you're making great impact. That sounds so amazing. Yeah, I feel like that is really like the some of the stuff that you just mentioned is stuff that again, like I don't think people think of. I think people think diversity and they think of the more um traditional sense of of when someone says diversity. They don't think about the wider picture as a whole either. And so I think that's really important. Um I, I'm kind of my mind is all about sort of little changes, do what's within your remit of what you can do to help drive improvements where you can. Um, anyone that sort of has listened to the podcast before and has heard me talk about Frank Turner, he's got a song about little changes. And that's all like my thought process is what little changes can we make? What little changes do you think that those of us either whether you be a business side or like on the actual business side of things or on the consumer side of things, can we do to make the community more approachable for a diverse audience? What can we do to be more welcoming? What are just small things we can do full stop mm-hmm. that we can drive changes? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I have, I, I'm going to quote someone. I don't know who they are. I don't know where I got this, but somebody told me that like when you're thinking about inclusion, making people feel welcomed, the, the thing to have in your head is a little bit like the difference between um, being invited to the dance and being asked to dance, right? Um, and I think a lot of people still have their head on like, well, I told, I told everybody they're allowed to come in here. I'm not stopping anybody at the door, right? Um, but you still might have a room full of wallflowers um, if it, all you're doing is saying you're allowed to come in the door. So I think it's a little bit of the like, you got to reach out your hand and ask people to dance, right? And you might feel awkward and strange and goofy, um, but you know what? So did they. Uh, And now you're dancing. So I think the small thing that I would encourage people to do is be okay with being uncomfortable. Like this is, it is not going to be comfortable. So like get okay with being uncomfortable. And I, that can maybe not feel like a small thing, but I think it's a little mental shift that as soon as you make it, um, you're capable of, of making so much more progress. Um, another small thing, and this one's more tactical, less esoteric. If you're interviewing people, it's a very, very 
common practice of getting to the inter- end of the interview and asking people, do you have any questions for me? Right. And lots of times when we ask people that question, we are saying, if they have good, thoughtful questions for me, that means that they're engaged and they're a great candidate and da, 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 da. Stop doing that. Right. Stop doing that. So um, really great piece of research that I read talked about the ways that people learn what is good interview behavior, right? Um, if you ask most people, they'll say, oh, I learned it in school or I learned it in college or like, um, but what we find is most people actually, it's part of their socialization, right? They learn it from um, legal guardians or parents, like what is, what is appropriate work behavior and what is not appropriate work behavior. What we find is um, young people who grow up in mostly working class households where um, job functions are like, you need to get things done. You need to get things done well. You need to get things done without being asked 27 times to do it. Um, You can provide feedback, but right now probably the done part is more important. Um, So it's very task-oriented work. And so a lot of times what people learn is put your head down, get it done, learn quickly, do not be the person that has to be told twice. Um, on the other end, a lot of kids who grow up in kind of creative white collar uh, households um, learn that, you know, there's always feedback, there's always negotiation, some of the job has to do with just being charismatic and asking questions, right? And they learn that that is appropriate work behavior. So if you ask somebody um, who maybe grows up in a traditionally working class household and learn those types of values about work, do you have any questions for me? They might say, no, I don't. And they're thinking, because I don't have to be told twice. You don't have to, I, I understood you. And I am telling you that I listened. So I have no questions. Right? And for me, that's just one right, small way that you can like think about your candidates a little bit more equitably. Because for that person, they probably just nailed the interview. Right? But you were judging them by a standard that wasn't as inclusive as it could have been. That is just literally, I've never thought about it in that sense. And I, it, that's just, it makes total sense now that you said it. And it just blows my mind because I just, I never would have thought about that in, even in the way of like, yeah, no, I have no questions because uh, if, I, if I ask you the question that maybe I actually have, you're going to think that I wasn't paying attention to you or that um, or, or maybe even somebody thinking, oh, you think I'm less intelligent than I am because I didn't understand when you were talking to me. Or like that is incredibly fascinating. And again, I really hope that if there's business owners that do happen to listen to this, that they sort of take that on board and take stuff like that into consideration, because that is, yeah, never would have thought twice about that until you said that. And I just think that's so fascinating. <laughs> yeah, that's really interesting. And that's de- like, I've been through the interview process as an interviewer a fair few times in the job that I'm in now. And that is like, you got, have you got any more questions? And you, what are you like, right? So you got like, you're told when you're learning about going to an interview, have a question ready, always have a question. Yeah. ready. Some people haven't got that ready because they're like, Nope, I took it all in. I know, I know what you want from me ready to go. I hadn't thought of that. So I always that's... thought about it in the sense yeah. of, I thought about it in the sense of like, when you, when you're interviewed, have your, like, 
either have your question ready because you're supposed to have a question ready yeah. even if it's like even if it's just like part of the process but also I think there's an element where like I've always been told well you're kind of you're interviewing them sort of in a sense just as much as they're interested interviewing you so if you've got a question that's going to make or break how happy you are with a place and they've not covered it ask that question um like that type of stuff and it's just never occurred to me that like yeah the way you grow up or the way you interact in your household is totally going to change the whole way that you perceive that question and like mind blown like that was (laughs) crazy it's so interesting have you got any other tips for UK like beer businesses or such like beer consumers about how to be more diverse? Over Are you going to say, do you have any other questions for me? I was like, that's a cheeky that's one. That's not on my list. That's <laughs> not on my list. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah. I'll give you my kind of, these are a little bit high level, but I think they work. Right. Um, so I, I always tell people, we, we spoke about it a little bit when we talked about the, the mentorship program, but uh, for me, I say focus on barriers, not bait, right? So what people often do when they think, oh, we got to get different people in here, we got we to gotta put some bait out for them, right? So, you know, many of, many a tragic pink beer, right, has been created with, to try to bait the women because apparently we don't drink pink things I don't know um you know that's probably less effective than asking yourself what barriers may women be experiencing that are keeping them from forming a relationship with my business right and when you ask the barrier question you need to make sure that you understand that if you don't perceive the barrier that doesn't mean it's not real um so uh i would say that's that's critical i would say second um focus on processes not programs um so there is a there's a lot of knee-jerk intention to try to like make a program in order to drive more diverse customers or staff so um, and this isn't saying programs are, are bad. I just talked to you about a couple of programs that I was instrumental in putting into place. But um, I would say start with your processes, then work on programs. So, for example, instead of um, going straight for, I don't know, mentorship, scholarship, whatever, you might want to say, let's look at all the various processes across this business. How do we hire? How do we retain? How do we onboard? How do we source uh raw ingredients and other things? How do we run our events? How do we do our human resources, Uh, right? Like look at all of your processes um, and ask yourself, is this process as inclusive as it could be, right? So if you have professional development and it's always at the same time and people who have caregiving responsibilities for elderly parents or children can never make that time, then the answer is no, your process is not as inclusive as it could be. So work on changing that process. Um, Is your hiring as inclusive as it could be, right? Is your, so basically like, I would say, start with all your processes and audit the process, right? So like for me, diversity and equity inclusion isn't the side program. It's an approach to doing everything you do. Um, And then lastly, I would say, um, be ready to do the work, 
right? And that's a phrase that gets tossed out around a lot, but do the work. I think some people think do the work means going on Twitter and yelling. And I think that's not always the work. Uh, but I would say, for example, if you're looking at making more um, diverse hires, it may, might mean you need to post your ad in a lot more places and do a lot more reviewing of applications and resumes. So like if you have to review twice as many resumes to get a more diverse staff, that's the work, right? Yeah. Like you need to invest the time to do that. Um, if you are saying, uh, you know, another thing I tell people like, you might need to reconsider your requirement that people know a lot about craft beer to have a particular position. Um, but that might mean you have to spend a little bit more time in training, right? training people. Um, all of these other investments for me are what it takes to do the work. What I think is great is that the ROI is huge, right? You get a return on that investment, but you got to be willing to put it in. in the first place. Yeah, that's so important because you want those different points of view and those different thoughts. So important. If you're taking stock of, of your processes and you kind of say, like, is my hiring process uh, the most inclusive that it can be? And obviously, if you're coming from a perspective where maybe you don't know what the most inclusive process is, I'm assuming in the US, somebody could come to someone like yourself to sort of help with that audit. Do you have any sort of international resources at all that sort of do similar things to what you guys do in the US that someone in the UK could reach out to? Or do you think it's just a case of you have to just ask your peers and, and people around you? Um, no, I mean, you all could, could come to me still. Uh, so if you, go, if you go to craftedforall.com, um, you can see kind of two ways you might be able to get this information. Um, the first is um, something we call the Crafted for All Commitment. Um, it is 23 action items that cover seven areas of doing business. And essentially the commitment is a pledge. You sign up and say, we are committed to doing better on these uh, 23 items. Uh, when you do that, you get featured on our website. You can use some of our um, marketing collateral to kind of show that you've made the commitment. Um, and then you receive um, some resources from us to help you get started on that journey. Um, if you're looking for more like extended support, then you can join uh, the Crafted for All Patreon community. Um, for our Patreon subscribers, we do um, regular resources, working happy hours. We have guest speakers. We do um, a live stream pod once a month uh, on lots of stuff. And actually one of the things that we work on is um, we have an assessment tool that essentially is like, here are all the different areas of your business and it allows you to score yourself. Like here's, here's how I'm doing. And then um, later on uh, we publish what we call our level ups. So it's basically like um, uh, if you said you were here, here's how you get from here to here, right? And here's what your future thing is. So um, all of those things are like, for what I think of as like um, systems management for DEI work, you know? And that's really where, where Crafter for All kind of makes its intervention, you know? Um, I kind of think of it like every other uh, type of business, you, you know, type of improvement work you might do on a business, like, not a lot if you have to do with like your sales 
or your quality control program, like nobody would just friggin' wing it. You know, you wouldn't be like, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> that you would, you would get systems, tools, benchmarks, checks, assessments, right? Like you would use, um, you know, systematic infrastructure to, to improve in those particular areas. So that's what we provide. Um, and uh, we try to keep it scalable and, and affordable. So, you know, for a business who wants to get access to those types of resources, um, you can come in as cheap as, you know, 10, 10 American US dollars a month uh, to start getting access to some resources and um, the community of people who are already subscribed, um, who are like really great folks who love to share information. So. I think we'll definitely link that in the show notes anyways. And I do, I feel like I've personally challenged people uh, here in the UK that like, if you are serious about wanting to be more inclusive and the only, uh, the only, I guess, for lack of a better term, the barrier of entry for you is not having that resource here in the UK that you've not had that, you didn't know where to go. Well, now you know where to go. Uh, we're going to put the link in and I challenge you mm-hmm. to challenge yourself to go and look at, you know, those 23 things and and commit yourself to that because I think that's, it's it's really important. So um, yeah, we'll definitely link that for sure. So the other the question that I kind of had was, was there any uniquely American challenges that you have faced that you think maybe would have to be sort of adapted in a different market or maybe don't translate to another market. I think that'd be quite interesting to sort of hear about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you're probably aware that, you know, I think, I think our history with racial inequity in the U S is just so specific and um, so all encompassing, you know, it touches everything. I think I kind of think, it might not be a good analog, but I kind of think that like class is a similar dynamic in the UK. Um, yeah. I think. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I think so. You know, yeah. um, you know, it's just so it is just so embedded here in our political environment, in our economic environment. Um, and it's it really is like a very unique um, issue. You know, people will ask me, you know, uh, you know right now, probably you know, black ownership of craft breweries is probably less than a half a percent, um, realistically. Um, certainly less than one, I would say closer to a half, maybe even less. Um, and, you know, the, everybody's like, you know, I always, always get someone who's like, what if black people just aren't interested in owning breweries? And I was like, oh. yeah, no. <laughs> and I'm like, some aren't many are right like that's um so let's get beyond that piece and then you start to think about things like um you know lack of generational wealth among uh among blacks in the u.s which is intimately tied to the history of like slavery reconstruction jim crow redlining right um lending disparities so um, it's just those things are you can't you can't pull them apart, you know. Um, the connection of our craft brewing industry to forces like gentrification that are displacing um, urban communities, particularly urban communities of color, really um, important to understand that. And I think that has a you know gentrification isn't uniquely American, but it has a uniquely American shape here um, when you consider the ways that many of our 
major urban areas or um, established and segregated and the way that things are being uh, developed today. So um, yeah, I think we do have some challenges here that are like very, very specific. But I also think that there are some opportunities that we have here that are also uniquely American that are actually really wonderful, right? Um, so for every, you know, for every challenge that we have, I think we also have a homegrown opportunity that we can take advantage of to, to do some correction of, of what's happening here. That's that's brilliant. Yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned about the class thing because, yeah, I've had to sort of explain to people that I know back in the US about like, yeah, our issue is more so the class division um, in that sense. But yeah, that's your, I think you're pretty spot on with that from, from my experience of both sort of countries. So yeah, I think so. We're still pretty racist though. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not t- just, that's what I'm, I'm not going to take, I'm not taking away from that at all. Um, yeah. I think it's just, I think it's, it can be tied into the class thing yeah, yeah. <laughs> like yeah, a lot and, and I don't think that ha- they they sort of relate to each other but like are just in very different ways if that yeah. makes sense mm-hmm. yeah it's, it's a weird one to try mm-hmm. to unpick but... and they're always all related right yeah like, I mean I yeah. think that's yeah, 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 yeah. All, all the reality that there's no there's no you know untangling all of that social stratification it's kind of like uh a big integrated ball yeah. like a big ball of yarn that's yes. like <laughs> really knotted and then you try undoing it and the second you do what like undo one knot like there's another knot and you're like I thought I just untangled you why is this happening yeah and then you just go I don't want to knit anymore it's fine and then you just yeah. <laughs> but you, we you persevere do the work. and we do it exactly you, and do then the work. You, you don't let it get the best of you you untangle yeah. that that's right <laughs> Uh, yeah so I, I think that was all the questions I had Joe, do you have any other yeah questions? I think so I think that's all of my questions it's been absolutely lovely talking to you today thank you it's so much genuinely such a privilege yeah. I feel like that was such a really it was just a really good conversation I feel like I've learned a lot myself as well and I hope that other people have something business-wise or consumer-wise that they take away from this and yeah. and maybe changes their viewpoint slightly so that's great thank you so much for having me um I've been like at least on three occasions it's like these lovely people are enjoying beer i'm gonna get a beer and i'm like oh, oh it's not time for beer in the US. oh yeah so <laughs> i've been like, like can be really quiet with our little beers over here i know i've been like secretly yeah. pouring it i have yeah. been drinking echo pale and it is yeah. so good and i've got i've got their oh, echo no, pills beer is so good. <laughs> beer is so good i love that so yeah. this one's made with um coconut palm sugar um, because Echo is a uh, black-owned brewery over here, and they are trying to pay homage to their roots, and so they've they've used uh, coconut palm sugar in some of their beers to like emulate palm wine. So their beers nice. are so good. They're amazing. Cool. They're amazing. I have this, uh, this one as well. This bubble water <laughs> that I'm drinking. <laughs> <laughs> I was gonna say uh, it is. It is early for you. Yeah. <laughs> Look out a little great I did 
Lebrecht I did Lebrecht the Lebrecht. cheeky. Nice. I did the yeah. cheeky like second second opening because I drank this oh, one way you? too quick because it was so good. So <laughs> I did good. a cheeky second opening <laughs> of Queer Bruins Marzin because I love a good Marzin. It's a salt and queer Bruin collaboration, and I like the label because it's got the rainbow on it and everything. Oh, and yay. I love Marzins, so I just did like a like a cheeky like crack. Um, that's awesome. <laughs> Four out of the corner sort of thing, but. Well, yeah, much respect to um to Lily and oh, love Lily. Right? Um, and yeah, gosh, who doesn't like a Marzen? Man, that's amazing. Who doesn't love, like love Marzen? I just bought as many as I could during Marzen season. I was like, just collect them all like Pokemon. It's great. I think I've drunk all of mine. Pokemon. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's gonna be my. That's it. I gotta write that down. <laughs> but yeah, thank you so so much for joining us. It's been such a joy. Um, it's such a good conversation. Hopefully someday we could like yeah, we'll meet in person, meet up somewhere yeah, and have a drink somewhere in the world. <laughs> so the, the, I don't know if you all knew, but I was I was at friends and family. Oh, were you? Twenty twenty, just February. Before. Yeah. I was yeah. sick as hell. Oh no. Oh, and no. then like I was it was like late February. I was on the plane back from Manchester, like hacking yeah. my lungs out. <laughs> oh. And they were like, you know, at the time it was still ridiculous. They were like, Have you been yeah. to mainland China? I was like, Manchester. What you <laughs> uh but that was the last trip I took in in 2020 and have been like since then like. Like, yeah. go you'll have to come back we'll have yeah. to have a meet up yeah. and it will be really good so yeah like hard side <sighs> yeah hard side hard side is there anything you want to um plug <laughs> before you go like any like we'll put um put the website in the show notes anything else uh you want people to go and look at yeah man um just get get online and find people who are doing cool things and um you know yeah cheat off them like get in touch with them see what learnings they have um you know my great friends over at beer culture are always doing amazing work please beer culture with a k check out what they're doing um you know i've had the great pleasure of being on the board of the um, michael james jackson um foundation for um Brewing and distilling, we do full scholarships for people who are going into brewing and distilling um, for BIPOC folks. Um, check out that. It's been really cool just to see um, some of the folks who've received scholarships and where they're headed in the world. Um, you know, already shouted out Queer Brewing Project. I love the work that Lily has been doing there. Um, it's been so interesting to follow like um, Burham Collective and some of the folks who are um, just advocating for people um, yeah. over over you know on your side of the globe so you know you don't have to love everything you don't have to agree with everything but I would say just um get in and like expose yourself to the conversations that are being had because I think um you know the first step is like knowing what's out there and I would say um do this before you start jumping into the conversation yes. so that you do not end up splaining people who do not need to be splained. Right. Right. Yes, so I did this definitely. thing. I did this thing. I, it was probably about 2019. I got really bored of just seeing, yeah, we love you, but I got really bored of just seeing white men's opinions on my Instagram. So I made a point of color of, of following people of color, following queer accounts, following women and my feed was so different 
and just listening to what they were doing and listening to what they had to say like just go out and start following people who are different from you and see the array of things that are out there that you're missing out on yeah beautiful advice it's perfect co-sign. I was gonna say I co-signed that <laughs> and uh and we got our we got our uh rap got, jumpers got I've got your shirt got here I've got her yeah. shirt I've got my uh anti-sexist anti-racist pro quality big club jumper on um, <laughs> I've got my kindred like, yeah. so excited to receive <laughs> this <laughs> yeah I'm excited for mine but yeah <laughs> Brilliant. Hopefully we'll speak to you again. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for having me. So that was a really good conversation. I I learned more about things that I didn't think that I needed to learn about per se. In terms of like the um probably people probably saw my mind explode if you're watching the video when it came to the interview part and it's stuff like that because I've never been in that position of hiring or anything like that I found that to be like really extra fascinating because only been a candidate being interviewed and I never would have even thought behind that about what she said and as she said as we discussed like like, opens up the door to like okay what else and uh yeah just mindful thinking about unconscious bias um just really interesting stuff so that was a really good conversation I'm so glad that we had it yeah it was so important and I think it's really kind of around the things that are our a part of the values of a woman's brew like we're here to get everyone that wants to be involved in the beer community to get you into it in whatever way you want to be involved in it no matter who you are where you're from what your background is come and enjoy great beer with us yeah and I found it really interesting about what she talked about some of the barriers were and they weren't the yeah. most common barriers that you, you don't think, think of. of um like stuff like you know neurodiverse being like a, a barrier to entry and uh, you know being in a remote area being a barrier to yep. entry like that is stuff that is quite interesting because it doesn't get called out as much as a barrier to entry so I just found that really, really interesting. Um, yeah, that was, it was genuinely a brilliant conversation. And I mean, as I said on the episode, like I challenge everyone that says that they want to be inclusive, that they want to learn, they want to grow and they want to, you know, adapt their way of working to be a more inviting and inclusive operation and atmosphere. Like I challenge you to go and look at the resources that she's providing for free, um, sign up to the patreon if you need that support all that i i think it's really interesting what she's discussed um definitely check it out i I can't really vouch for that enough and i really hope that i see someone pick up the baton over here and do something similar to like what they're implementing over there with mentorships and stuff like that 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 was amazing yeah yeah that would be really good there's definitely a market for that i think and if we've missed something and there is something out there like that that we don't know about let us know email lovebelearning at gmail.com and let us know what we've missed because that's please tell us yeah we we want to promote it like we want people to know about it so definitely correct us and tell us if we're just talking out our bums and we've missed something completely or it's gone completely over our head because at the end of the day you know uh joe does the beer school but you know outside of that kind of stuff like neither of us work in breweries in those industries 
from that standpoint that maybe we just have missed it we don't know about it so we would love to be able to shout from the rooftops about it if there is something out there so that more people know about it so yeah absolutely um so tori if people want to come and talk to you about where you got your um lovely jumper there well you can't get it because there's none left (laughs) (laughs) haha i'm just kidding i mean i'm not kidding but i'm not laughing at you it's a joke but if you want to come and talk to me about my jumper or about this amazing echo pale number three that i had because it is fantastic you're in for a ride it is chef's kiss um (laughs) feel free to come find me on instagram i'm adventures underscore in underscore optimism joe if people want to talk to you about inclusivity and equality i will talk to you about that i mean i'm i've got privilege i am a white woman white english woman so i've got a bit of privilege there but you know i'm still a woman so you know also i'm pagan and religious freedom as well that's a that's a thing people um uh you come talk to me i am a woman's brew on facebook instagram and twitter i tend to hang out on instagram um or come find my beer school which is open to all come and learn about beer with me uh that is love beer learning we're on facebook instagram and twitter i'm mostly hanging out on instagram there as well we're also on tiktok and pinterest um and there's a few bits on youtube as well now if you don't watch the video of this, hey. come, and find the, come find the YouTube. We do, we're, we're everywhere. Just come and find Love Beer Learning everywhere. There's a website, which is lovebeerlearning.co.uk. And that email address, again, is lovebeerlearning at gmail.com. So come find us. We've got Patreon too. You can find out about that on the website. Come support us for £2 a month. That's less than a pot, than a, like a can of really good beer. So come and support us so that we can continue to bring you this interesting information every week. Come join us. So on that note, cheers. cheers. <laughs>